Have you ever been embarrassingly presumptuous to someone? Embarrassingly presumptuous in what you thought, in what you did, in what you said, and then only you found out about it at a later time? I remember when our kids were younger and needed babysitter for when Tara and I would be away and we would often drop them off at someone's house and thank the babysitters for caring for our kids. And then my, my answer was always the same. Thanks, see you sometime next week. And as if to, to sarcastically presume upon the babysitters, they were going to keep them not just for one night, but for many nights to come. And we were headed out of town. Very often our presumptive ways are embarrassing because we're blind to our own presumption. In fact, we're often blind to our own blindness. It takes someone or something outside of ourselves to reveal to us our presumptive ways. And in the passage before us, the passage that we studied this morning, the Apostle Paul points out our presumptions in regards to God's judgment. If you have not done so yet, would you please locate the book of Romans in your copy of the Scriptures It's been a few weeks since we were here in Romans, so let me do a quick reset with you about Paul's flow of thought. Romans is a theological treatise declaring and defending the undeserved, the unmatched, and the unstoppable gospel of Jesus Christ. We understand that Paul is is preaching and writing to Jewish and Gentile, Gentile Christians in the city, in the church of Rome. And for the purpose of our study, we've divided it in the, the, the letter of Romans into six divisions. The priority of the gospel in verses 1 through 17 of the first chapter. And Paul ends that section by declaring that in the, the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel reveals the power of God for salvation. And then in that second section, Paul talks about the heart of the gospel. And this is where we are now. In chapter 1, verse 18, all the way through the end of chapter 4. So this is going to to be a good part of our study for the the next few weeks, months. The heart of the gospel. And we we spent time thinking about um, how the the heart of the gospel is is even subdivided into to, 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 to reveal God's righteousness was being revealed through wrath. God's righteousness reigns with justice. And God's righteousness is received by faith. So we took... Four Sundays, and we talked about that first subsection of God's righteousness being revealed through wrath. And we talked about the end of chapter 1 and how God's wrath is revealed uh, from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. And now we're moving into that second section, if you're following on the outlines, letter B, uh, God's justice. God's righteousness reigns through justice. Now we know that that, that Romans is all about telling us about God's righteousness, the righteousness that we need. We don't have righteousness in ourselves. We need the righteousness of God. And so God's righteousness is revealed through his wrath. We've walked through that. Now we see that God's righteousness reigns, it rules, it operates with complete justice. And this is going to carry us from the beginning of chapter 2 all the way through a good part of chapter 3. This morning we see... The first part of that section is is that God's justice is reigning, is ruling in the lives to Jewish people. Paul, at the end of chapter 1, had really pounded home the topic of God's wrath. And you'd think by now, at the end of chapter 1, 
we'd be, we'd be set, right? We'd get a break. But no, the apostle now pounds home again that all Gentiles and Jews are guilty before God. Would you please follow along? I'm going to read the first 16 verses of chapter number 2. <clears throat> Therefore, thou art inexcusable, O man, whatsoever thou art, whatsoever thou art judged. For, wherever, for wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself. For thou that judgest dost the same things. But we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth against them which commit such things. And thinkest thou this, O man, that judgest them which do such things, and do, them your, and do the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God? Or do you despise the riches of God's goodness and forbearance and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? But after thy hardness and impenitence at heart, treasurest up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will, who will render to every man according to his deeds, to those who by patient continuance and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But unto those that are contentious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish upon every soul of man that doeth evil, of the Jew first and also of the Gentile. But glory and honor and peace to every man that works good, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. For there is no, for there is no respect of persons with God. For as, as many as have sinned without the law shall also perish without the law, and as many as have sinned in the law shall be judged by the law. For not the hearers of the law who are just before God, but the doers of the law that will be justified. For when the Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature the things contained in the law, these, although they do not have the law, are a law unto themselves, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts the meanwhile, excusing or excusing, accusing or excusing one another. In the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ, according to my gospel. We're going to take these 16 verses in, in three separate paragraphs, in three separate sermons, as we think about how Jewish, the Jewish people that Paul was writing to are guilty before God. The first paragraph that we look at today is verses 1 through 5. Paul points out that the same wrath that's described at the end of chapter 1 for all of the immoral pagans is applicable for the moral pagans of chapter number 2. Paul identifies his target audience all the way down. He doesn't talk about his target all the way until verse number 17. He says, Behold, thou art called a Jew, or you call yourself a Jew. Moralism gets you nowhere with God. Law-keeping is not good enough. Behavior is not satisfactory. Being part of God's special people, the, the, the Jewish people, it wasn't going to cut it. Paul wants us to understand that. He wants us to understand that moral pagans are just as guilty before God and just as condemnable as immoral pagans. Don't presume that your moralism offers you an escape from God's judgment for your sin. So let's learn how Paul hammers that point home. First of all, the apostle tells us that moral pagans 
are judged for their hypocrisy. Look at verse number one. Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, whosoever thou art that judgest. For wherein thou judgest another, for you who judge others, and you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. That first word there in the verse number two, therefore, I think it refers all the way back up to chapter number one, verse 18, where it says, because, of, because God's wrath is revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, precisely because God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all people, nobody, Gentiles or Jews, nobody has an excuse before God. Remember the end of chapter one? Paul goes through this long list. He says, because they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with, and then Paul lists 21 different characteristics of their evilness, of their sin. Before that in the chapter, he talks about how women left their natural relations with, left natural relations and how men left natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one, with one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving themselves the due penalty of their error, of their, of their sin. And by the end of chapter 1, we're, 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 we're with Paul. We're tracking with him and we're, we're shouting in our hearts. We're shouting, yes, amen, Paul. Give it to him. When I preached through that section on August the 16th, we were fired up and we took a biblical stand on the sexual sins that Paul called out in that passage. And that section was directed more to, to the Gentiles than to the Jews. But now Paul turns to address the Jews specifically. He, he used the word they, the pronoun they, at the end of chapter 1. And now he comes to a personal pronoun you in chapter number 2. At this time in history, the, the Jewish people saw the world as, as divided into two. Those who were Jews and everybody else. Jews saw themselves to be special. Not needing salvation because they were part of God's special people. Because they were law keepers or attempting to be law keepers. And if it's, it's, as we come to chapter 2, it's, it's as if Paul looks at his fellow Jews square in the face and asks the question... Who do you think you are? They were judging other people for the things that they were guilty of committing themselves. Friends, it's as simple as this. We condemn other people for doing the very things that we do. And so since we know that what they do and what we are doing is sin, we are condemning ourselves. Religious moralizers, Moralizers do not understand the nature and the extent of their own sin. Isn't that what we read this morning from Samuel? David was angered at the situation, but he was blind until, uh, unto his own sin until God used the prophet Nathan to reveal, to identify in front of him that he was a sinner. We think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. We can hardly believe that we are guilty. We have such confidence in ourselves. We presume that we're in the right. I mean, we do that in, su in such simple things in our, on a regular basis. We get our phones out and we send a text message or we type out an email and we have such confidence, we hit the send button and just, it just goes. And we didn't proof check it, we didn't look over to make sure, we don't care about spelling these days, but we, we don't even make sure that it's going to the right person. We might have said something that, we might have told somebody we loved them, but we didn't, that wasn't the person we were supposed to be telling we loved them. We get, we're so confident, we just go. 
make a special category for ourselves, don't we, in regards to our sin. We're very much like the Jews. We're confident. I'm a pastor. I'm a churchgoer. I'm a choir member. I'm a church leader. My parents were Christians. My grandparents were Christians. And I've Speaking personally, now I've been here for 15 years, so I think I have enough capital to say this in Lancaster County. We are really, really poor about this as people of Lancaster County. We are moral people around here. We are good people around here. But we judge others for doing something, and we can be doing the very same thing in secret. Paul told the Romans that the sins of the Jews would not be treated by God differently than the sins of the Gentiles. So friend, whatever little box you put yourself in, whatever little box I put myself in, fundamentalist or a homeschooler or a full-time ministry or Bible college graduate or whatever else, God sees all of our sin the same. We're guilty before God. So you get frustrated about people in society who are abusing financial assistance from the governments, but you're less than forthcoming on your own income taxes? It's the same thing. You condemn the atrocity of abortion, but you hate someone in your heart enough to be guilty of, of murdering them yourself. My friends, let us see the hypocrisy of our own hearts. Parents, hypocrisy has devastating effects on our kids. When they see you condemn others for the very same thing they've seen you do, you cause them much harm. Brothers and sisters, let us be quicker to repent than we are to rebuke. Have you noticed how defensive we are on social media? Let's take the posture that, that, we, are probably, that we probably did say something that we shouldn't have said. Let's take great care to live with consistency. Moral pagans are judged for their hypocrisy. Are you a hypocrite? Moral pagans are just as guilty before God and just as condemnable as immoral pagans. Don't presume that your moralism offers you an escape from God's judgment for your sin. Secondly, moral pagans are judged with truth. Verse 2, but we are sure that the judgment of God is according to what? What's the next word? According to what? Truth against them which commit such things. I'm using the word truth intentionally because it's right there for us in the text. But think justice, think fairness, think perfection, think, think righteous, as we read from Psalm 19 just a few minutes ago. God's judgment for sin is fair. God's judgment for sin is just because it's in accordance with God's truth. The ESV says that the judgment of God is God rightly falls on those who practice such things. It's right for God to judge sin. Justice is not always carried out in our court systems, is it? We, we, we long for that. We hope for that. We plan towards that. But justice is not always carried out in our court systems or in our community, in our culture. We have heard, we have seen, perhaps we even, even have experienced injustice. But we can take it to the bank that the judgment of God is always right. We can take it to the bank that the judgment of God is always perfect. It's always perfect because it's according to the truth of God. It doesn't shift 
A particular part of, of, of God's attributes is that he, does, he is immutable. He never changes. James reminds us every good and perfect gift comes from above, comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variableness. There is no shadow due to change. And even though we as believers, there will be, there will be no eternal condemnation for us, all human beings will stand before God to be judged. And there will be no secrets. God's judgment will be perfectly fair according to the truth of our actions and his word. Do you know what the secret hope of a hypocrite is? The secret hope of a hypocrite is that God will somehow judge them by a standard lower than the perfect truth and righteousness that God has. Paul tells the Jewish people, your actions are not outside of God's judgments. It's fair. It's right for God to judge you just as he will judge Gentiles. We tend towards using a hierarchy to categorize, to categorize our own sins. We refer to our sins as struggles and as mistakes instead of calling our sin, sin. We don't want to call lust in our hearts what Jesus calls it, committing adultery. We don't want to identify talking poorly about someone. We don't want to call that slander. We hold out hope that somehow and for some reason, God will judge us by a standard other than what he has judged uh, others by, what he has told us. Brothers and sisters, see the truth of God in regards to your own sin. God judges according to his truth. Respond to that reality. Respond to that truth with humility. Ask God to reveal ways to you in which you're glossing over very real sin in your life. Ask others, ask people within the body to, to point out to you ways that you are attempting to sweep your sin under the rug. Moral pagans are just as guilty before God and just as condemnable as immoral pagans. Don't presume that your moralism offers you an escape from God's judgment for your sin. Moral pagans are judged for hypocrisy. Moral pagans are judged with truth. Thirdly, moral pagans are judged with certainty. Verse 3 says, And thinkest thou this, O man, that judgest them which do such things and doest the same? Do you think that you'll escape the judgment of God? Or do you, do you despise the riches of God's goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? Sometimes we will read a, a paraphrase of, of scriptures or a commentary or something to help us have a, have a clearer understanding of, of what it's saying. And I read this paraphrase from a commentator this week of verses 3 and 4, and it hit home with me. Here it is. You dummy! Do you really figure that you have doped out an angle that will lead you, that will let you go up against God and get away with it? There is no escape. Ever. And this means you, respectable person, sitting in judgment upon another creature and remaining unrepentant yourself. My friends, God's judgment is certain. Judgment for sin is a mark of a good God. A, 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 court, a judge in courts who refuses to find guilty the guilty and to give punishment to the guilty is not a good judge. A corrupt judge is not a good judge. God is good. God is a good judge. God could... could would no longer be, be good, he would no longer be God if he did not judge sin. So there will be and there must be judgment for sin. Friends, there is no loophole to the judgment of God. 
God cannot do anything other than judge sin. The only way, the only way to escape the judgment of sin is through what happened on the cross at Calvary. God provided a single way of escape. God sent his one and his only son to a cross after Jesus had lived on the earth for 30 some years, never have committing a single sin in thought, in word, or in deed. And Jesus willingly went to the cross and he was crucified. And there when that happened, when Jesus was crucified on the cross, God looked upon him and God accepted that payment. And God, and, and God poured out his judgment for our sin on Jesus. So all of the judgment for our sin, if we are in Christ, was placed on Jesus then. My friends, that is the only escape to God's just judgment for your sin and for my sin. If you've never yet called upon the name of the Lord to be saved, I invite you to do so today, even right now. If you have further questions about what it means to be a follower of Christ, talk to us after the service. We'll be happy to show you from God's word what it means to be born again. And for us, as followers of, of, of Jesus Christ, God judged our sin in Christ. He placed it on Jesus instead of placing it on us. And now Paul confronts us with this question. He says, are you taking the goodness of the Lord for granted? Do you assume that because God is good that he will not judge you? Do not be so foolish. God will judge. It's not only that religious, moralistic people fail to remember that, that God is generous and patient. Rather, they acknowledge that forbearance and they interpret it rather as an okie-dokie from God upon the way that they are going. Instead of viewing God's forbearance as a, as a cue, as a, as a prod to repent, we see God's patience as kind of an okay on our actions and approval. Lloyd-Jones said it this way, the goodness of God and his forbearance and his long-suffering were meant to lead us to repentance and that patently, if we fail to arrive there, we are entirely misunderstanding the goodness of God. Indeed, we are guilty of despising God's goodness. Do you despise the goodness of God? Do you not know, Paul says? There is no excuse for not knowing. There is evidence, and the facts are before us. So this ignorance seems to be deliberate. My friends, God means what he says and he says what he means. Because we do know the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Let us be quick to repent. So if you've never called on Jesus Christ to be your Savior, repent of your sins and call upon him today. Christian, for those of us who have repented of our sins, who have turned and trusted in the Lord to be our Savior, let us be quick to repent even post-salvation. Let us be quick to acknowledge our wrong and to confess our sin before God. Moral pagans are just as guilty before God and just as condemnable as immoral pagans. So moral pagans are judged for hypocrisy. Moral pagans are judged with truth. Moral pagans are judged with certainty. And lastly, the, the apostle warns us that moral pagans are judged with severity. Verse number five, we read, But after thy hardness and impenitent hearts, you are treasuring up unto yourself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgments of God. R.C. Sproul said that this is one of the scariest verses in all of the Bible. Every sinful thought 
every sinful word, every sinful action is exposed to God's perfect judgments according to his truth. By not repenting of sin, we're storing up wrath against ourselves and live as though we give an account and as if we won't give an account for those things to God. Are you making deposits into the wrong account? There are varying degrees of punishment in hell. Hell is how God meets out his perfect judgments. Hell is a place where the punishment always fits the crime. Hell will be full of judgmental goody-goodies. Hell will include people who had formerly looked down on others for the sins listed in chapter 1. Hell will be full of people who had formerly looked down their noses on the, for, for people who, who had committed the sins of homosexuality and drug abuse and murders while all the while choosing not to repent of their own secret sins of porn addiction and hatred of others and pride. The judgment of God is severe. If you are in Christ, the judgment has been placed on Jesus. And that was the severest of all judgments. But if not, judgment remains in your future. Paul tells the church at Rome, he tells the Gentiles, they did not, some, did not see fit to acknowledge God. God gave them up to a debased mind. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They're haters of God, inventors of evil, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless, and the list goes on. Then Paul turns to the church at Rome and he says to the Jews, don't get up on your high horse. If you judge others and practice the very same things, you're condemning yourself. Harvest Bible Church, are you presuming on the judgments of God? As we draw to a close this morning, let's be sobered by the warning of this passage. Lancaster County is filled with good people. There are some very morally upright people in our community. And Paul tells us that moralism is just another attempt at salvation by works. It's not enough. Moral pagans are condemned just as immoral pagans are condemned. Harvest Bible Church, instead of spending our energy passing judgment on others and criticizing the actions and attitudes of others and evaluating whether or, uh, uh, whether or not some others measure up, let us remember the judgment of God that was placed on Christ for our own personal sins. Let us spend our energy thanking God that our judgment has been placed on Jesus. Let us spend our time and our energy telling other people that the judgment of God for their sins has been placed on Jesus. And instead of looking down on others and instead of passing judgment on others while we ourselves are committing the same sins, let us rejoice in the fact that our judgment for our sins has been placed on Jesus. This warning should drive us to quick repentance in our relationship with our spouses and with our spouse and with our children and with fellow church members. Do you assume you are innocent all the time or are you quick to defend yourself or are you quick to repent? This warning should grow humility within us because we know that it's only by the grace of God that we will not face the judgment for our sin. This warning should cause us to have a greater dependence on the Spirit of God to show, to show us through His Word the ways in which we are living in a hypocritical way. This warning 
should drive us to our knees for the thanksgiving, for the love of God, that he has sacrificed his one and only son because of our sin, that we may experience being pardoned, reconciled back to our great God. Let us bask in the love of God as we consider the warning from this passage. Father, we thank